Welcome to another episode of the Comfort Monk Podcast. Eddie uh, kind of took over on this episode. Who do we? Uh, who do you got? You're speaking with, my man. We had uh, Marissa P from the band Screaming Females. She is uh, probably one of the most hilarious people that I've interviewed for, so far for this. Nice. I think she. I want to say the Screaming Females played down in Charleston at the Tin Roof a few years back, probably with. Some West Ash Brett Nash project. I would not be surprised. They have a an archive on their website of um, all of the shows that they've played for the last you know ten years or whatever, and it is incredible how many shows they play every year. Um, I you know when we were talking, she was joking about she was like, "This is the most times I've woken up in the same place in a row for like." basically her entire adult life you know she's just always been on the road Um, yeah it's kind of making people get a little more comfortable slash used to the home life if they were more so uh you know out on the road before it's definitely a change of pace um but yeah how'd the conversation go with her man uh it was great she she had me laughing the entire time um she told some great road stories and uh, I think a lot of like kind of her philosophy came through, um, very much like a, a you know a philosophy of like loving other human beings and treating people well and making like connections and relationships and stuff like that. And uh, you know it makes sense. And uh, her band is one of the most impressive three pieces uh, I, I think I've ever heard. It's so, you know, everybody jokes about, you know, like ZZ Top and it's like, how did they make so much, you know, music with just three instruments? Like they're Screaming Females is definitely in the same vein. Um, If, you know, if our viewers haven't heard them before Uh, and she's an amazing guitar player, an amazing singer, Um, their bass player, Mike's amazing. Their drummer is amazing. It looks like uh, John Lennon. Uh, Yeah, they're just an awesome band and I really enjoyed talking to her. All right. Well, here's Eddie and Marissa for the comfort monk podcast. Chuck tape. I don't even remember what year we made it in. It was it was a long time ago, but it was right before Rose Mountain. We made like this limited um, cassette that just had like a bunch of weird songs in it that we didn't like overanalyze or really work, you know, quote unquote, work too hard on. We kind of just like had fun playing music and recorded them on, you know, in GarageBand, and I mixed them very poorly, and then we put them out on a cassette. Of like there were like a hundred of them, um, and since then people have been asking if more of the cassettes might exist someday, or that if chalk tape will exist in any any physical way um, ever again. And so, since coronavirus began, um, we were trying to think of ways to 
kind of just like stay engaged in screaming females continue like reminding people that like we have intention to continue existing beyond this whatever that world might look like we're doing our best um and so uh reissuing chalk tape on vinyl seems like a pretty simple like project to take on and it's something that people have expressed interest in and they actually want so we didn't feel like we were just making trash and like putting it out in the world or whatever um but it was also like beneficial to our label Don Giovanni who um you know we, we really love working with so but the sad news is that because of coronavirus a lot of pressing plants are working at like you know half their mm-hmm. capacity they, like keep their staff like all the staff on full-time people aren't making records right now people aren't going on tour the entire industry is basically just in this like purgatorial state um and so it was supposed to come out pretty soon um and instead it's going to be pushed back until 2021 um and apparently all vinyl is just kind of like clogged up in that same way yeah we we had a couple of releases this summer that that got delayed pretty significantly uh, from the pressing plant. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they're doing everything they can. It's just like every, every kind of cog in the machine that makes like the music biz or whatever you want to call it work just seems to be existing in this nether world. Uh, And it's weird. And I'm sure there is some dialogue going on about it that I'm not privy to, but I just like, in terms of like talking to other people who are working musicians that I know, it seems like there isn't actually that much conversation going on about w- what the future might look like for working musicians. I think it's mostly because n- no one has any idea <laughs> and it's scary and it's really depressing. It's depressing, you know? Yeah. Especially yeah, if you like sure. work your whole life to like, you know, play music and, then it just it gets abruptly sort of taken away from you. It's a really weird time to be alive. Yeah, I mean, your your band Screaming Females is an exceptionally heavy touring band. Um, I I can't imagine that y'all have probably spent this much time not playing shows since y'all have been around. Is that accurate to say? Oh, yeah. I mean, I haven't been home for this long um, since I was probably about 19 or 20, um, I haven't, I haven't woken up in my own bed this many times in a row <laughs> since I was like 19 or 20. And it is exceptionally weird. Um, still having a hard time getting used to it. Um, I still like haven't really nailed down any kind of routine, which is another thing that I've never really had to learn how to do as an adult. So I, you know, in a lot of ways I'm trying to trying my best to kind of like ebb and flow out of abject despair and like trying to hope a little bit. (laughs) Um, It is interesting to learn these things about myself um, and like try out these new things, like being home every single day for months on end. It's like something I've never done before. And um, what is, I guess, maybe more normal for the the bulk of adult humans is, is 
new to me and I'm 34 years old. So it's kind of like meeting a new person, to be honest, um, like a, a new Marissa, but I didn't know, <laughs> I know that well. So um, I'm trying my best, but it's definitely been a struggle. Yeah, I guess that's all you can do. You uh, you mentioned touring, you know, starting touring when you were 19 or 20. Um, was uh, Screaming Females something that you started in high school, or what was kind of the genesis of that? Well, Mike and I were in a band, and yeah, well, we started, Mike and I started a band when he was still in high school, and I had just started college, and that band lasted for like 10 months, and then I met Jarrett my sophomore year of college, um, and then... Mike was a senior in high school, I think. So by the time Mike graduated from high school, we were touring um, as often as we could because I was Jared and I were still in college. So we would tour usually all summer, like the entire summer. We would just be gone. And then any kind of like spring break, winter break, whatever, um, we would do uh, what we could to get out there. And then once Jared and I, uh, we're done at, at Rutgers. Uh, we just would all kind of separately hold down random gigs at like coffee shops and uh, Mike was a valet for a while, stuff like that, uh, up until we had like a, a record planned for release or a big tour coming up and then quit that job and, and go on tour until we were really, really fortunate and lucky enough to be able to make touring and playing music essentially our full-time job. Um, and that, you know, that took many, many years. We did it. And then we were able to sustain that for a considerable amount of time. And, uh, we, you know, I think the three of us just really hope that we get to, you know, do it again. Cause I think we all found a job that we really loved and cared about a job that was more than a job. It was the thing that like brought us fulfillment and happiness and kept us creative and seeing the world and meeting new people. And it's just when it, if I, if I think about it too much, I get upset. <laughs> I'm yeah. not, not doing it. Right. Yeah. Cause I imagine that at this point they're kind of like a family, um, you know, That's spending fun, all of you your, know. all of your twenties and, you know, the start of your thirties with these people. Um, yeah, we grew up together, and it's it's weird to not see them every day. It's weird to not see a lot of our friends who live, you know, all over the country once in a while. I miss a lot of people who, like, don't live anywhere near me that I am spoiled enough to get to see, like, semi-regularly. So it's just, like, the kind of nature of our, of at least my entire lifestyle has been just, like, completely turned upside down um and in a lot of ways it's 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 good for me to to learn about this way of living and be like try try something new but i think under under this this in this context i I would have preferred not to (laughs) yeah i bet so yeah i I imagine it's sort of you know to to different kind of uh end result but like the the isolation chambers that people do that were trendy like a couple years ago uh and they say just like being cut off from stuff and just having you know your 
just basically existing as a brain floating in a in an orb for a while has like some kind of weird psychedelic uh you know effects on people and i imagine you know having to stop you know moving after you've moved so much in the last you know 15 years uh has got to also have some kind of you know maybe not psychedelic effect but definitely some kind of you know reckoning yeah i wouldn't go so far as saying it's like a psychedelic effect but it is it is weird in a way that I can't quite like verbalize it where I just like like my grasp on like the way time moves was changed so radically from years of touring that now that I'm kind of living a more quote-unquote like convent like through like a more conventional time frame like you know staying up during the day and going to sleep at night (laughs) (laughs) which is not something I did for you know, like over a decade of my life, it is really kind of trippy and weird to wake up in the same place every day. And the days just kind of like bleed together and like see the same spaces and faces every day and go down the same streets every day. It's like, it is kind of like a groundhog day sort of feel. Um, And I know, I know that I've been like incredibly spoiled and lucky to have had such great fortune in, in our in our band and getting to do the things we have to do. So I'm not complaining, but it is it's just weird. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So uh, you know, you mentioned some luck and some good fortune, but obviously there's a lot of uh, you know hard work and kind of grinding that y'all have uh, put into it. You know, to to get to that point. Um, your your first record, Baby Teeth, uh, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, that was the only full-length y'all did before you got involved with Don Giovanni, right? We did another one after that that oh, we put more. out. Um, yeah, and then, like, I think on a tour for that record is when we met Joe at Don Giovanni, and then we did the next album, Power Move, with Joe and, and Don Giovanni. Oh, cool. So, uh, y'all... You know, what was kind of your your driving force, uh, you know, going going into going to that first record? What was kind of the, uh, you know, I know you said that y'all had been in a band, you and Mike had been in a band together and stuff, but what was kind of like the, you know, the music that was influencing you at the time when you were kind of establishing some of the, some of the, the ways that you would make music with Screaming Females? Um, I think the overarching rule between the three of us is that like there wouldn't be any rules and that we would just kind of play whatever came out naturally, like whatever felt best between the three of us would be the music that we made together. And we had a lot of uh, like influences in common, but we had a lot of thing, a lot of influences that weren't in common at all. And so, but the thing is, is like, what we did really have in common is that we wanted to be in a band and we wanted to take it really seriously. And we wanted to like go on tour and make real records. And, um, we were willing to put in that work and that time. And, um, I think that is, you know, maybe almost just as important as like, you know, having a, the similar influences or whatever. It's like, you gotta. I, I I suppose there there are some bands that are just lucky, but I I think, you know, you gotta work hard, 
to get what you want. So uh, yeah. we spent a lot of time uh, trying to make the best record that we could make with what, what little we had at, at that time. Um, and, uh, and then knew that we wanted to like share it with the, with as many people as we could. So after we made baby teeth, we went on like a 70 day long summer tour, which was, very long tour for a band that had only been a band for like a year and a half, but I, I bet it was so. fun. It was one of the more important summers of my life for sure. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it, it definitely, you know, you're a band that's hard to kind of describe in genre terms. Um, but one thing that is, you know, kind of striking about all of your releases going back that far um, is just the amount of like work that goes into it. Like you were saying, I, I, you know, I one thing I think is striking when I when I hear y'all's music is that like there's always something going on on guitar. You're always singing something that is you know acrobatic and you know not just something you know something simple. And it's just kind of like you know just like the power trio kind of thing where you all have to be super busy and never take a rest. Uh, you know as as part of a three piece and I always thought that was super impressive. Yeah, I think in our like more recent releases we've tried to like step away from that a little bit and focus more on like dynamics and maybe uh vocal melodies and kind of like maybe like being more like songwriter oriented and less kind of being like youngish insecure like punk being like look we can play our instruments we swear <laughs> and I, I know that I can speak for myself but like I think that I probably overplay or what I would consider now is overplaying on older things because I wanted people to be like oh she can play like cool <laughs> uh I think you know growing up mostly um the most monolithic biggest rock stars were men and I wanted to kind of like show other like boys and men who are my contemporaries that I could like play just as well as they could. Um, and that kind of like faded away very quickly as I learned about like Riot Girl and um, we started like touring more because Screaming Females has always pretty much been really lucky in that um, the shows that we played all, I've almost always historically had like other queers on the bill and other women on the bill and stuff like that. So there were definitely times where I felt kind of isolated, but I, I would say overall, um, I am really glad that I wound up in the band that I'm in. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's something, you know, uh, I, I think some people won't even think about is, you know, you sort of feeling like, you know, you've, been an incredible guitar player the entire time but feeling like uh maybe you were expected to prove something um you know just based on your gender or whatever else uh yeah i think a lot of that just came from insecurities um not really like from anyone like critiquing me or belittling me or talking down to me although you know obviously those things have happened um yeah, I've always been way more interested in songwriting overall than playing the guitar, just in general. Um, the guitar just happened to be the, the instrument that was in my house. So, 
that's the one I played. That's cool. Did you did you have uh, you know parents or older siblings or something that were guitarists? My dad played um, guitar. I don't have any siblings, but my dad played, and so when I was getting into like rock and roll, he uh, I think I was listening to Nirvana, and he was just like. Um, I can teach you that song. It's really easy. And then he did, and I learned it. And then I just became, like, obsessed with the guitar because I think I just took to it well. And I am, I'd say at times, a relatively lazy person. So when something comes easy to me, I I will really gravitate (laughs) towards it. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. Why would you, you know force yourself to to play something else if guitar was going so well for you like uh when you're in like middle school band or something and they get everybody to like blow into mouthpieces and into like you know like read instruments and stuff to figure out what people are good at you know might as well stick with what what naturally works for you i tried the trumpet and i couldn't do that thing um that like weird pursing your lips thing so I, I couldn't play the trumpet I played the piano a little bit and then I wound up uh after after going to public school my whole life I wound up going to a catholic school for for high school and and they were like there's no more music now so that was that <laughs> oh that's a bummer uh, yeah because I was going to ask yeah. if you um if you sang or anything in high school like if you did choir or anything nope. No, we didn't have a choir. I had we. I was in choir when I was a kiddo up until eighth grade. I was in choir for probably like seven years or something like that. Um, so I knew I could sing. I just was like really shy and didn't really want to do it in front of anybody. And I, uh, I, I don't think I even knew really what the sound of my own voice was until my dad started letting me like record stuff on his work laptop when he would come home from from school. He was a principal, so then he would let me use his laptop and I downloaded like audacity or whatever the free saw was at the time. And I made like a bunch of really silly songs, um, trying to like emulate bands that I was, were, were fond of in my grandma's basement. And I recorded like 70 songs or something and they're all truly psychotic. Um, uh, and then I, I, w- I was just kind of, like, desperate to find people to play with. You know, that was, like, all I thought about all day, every day, for the next four or five years of my life. <laughs> uh, I was just like, I want to be in a band so bad. And it's just crazy that I was lucky enough to do it. it really is nuts to think about it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome you were able to also do it with friends and, you know, people that were around you already. I, I think having a bond that goes back a little bit definitely helps, uh, you know, trusting each other or whatever. Yeah. And I think I already kind of had that value system in place because of like punk. I, I knew that like, I want, sorry, dog. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hold on a second. No problem. Stop. Don't, don't bark. Hold on. We'll just keep doing it. He is a barking man. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I think I learned that from punk. Like, I knew that I wanted to be in a band with your friends was, like, kind of, like, one of the cornerstones of, like, being in a sustainable 
band that could kind of like uh, transcend their own music, like a band like X or something. Like I was obsessed with X in high school. And like, that was a band that was composed of not only friends, but you know, people that were married and dated fallen in love. And so there was, and I guess, you know, it added like this extra layer of narrative to what already was like such great music. And it just made them like even more compelling. Um, and I could say the same about like later Kenny and bands like that, you know? So mm-hmm. um, I, I like thinking of, of bands kind of like as the, the, the members kind of create this one entity that just like transcends the individual um, and then their music is kind of like the soundtrack to this, this like monolithic kind of being that they create together. That makes a lot of sense. The way, the way you describe that. It also explains why most super groups are terrible. Yeah. Cause they don't, yeah, <laughs> they don't care about each other. Yeah. I guess yeah, I never thought about that. Chicken foot wasn't very good, huh? <laughs> Yeah, or whatever, uh, you know, Mike Portnoy is doing. Mark Mike Port Port. Uh, how do you say his name? Portnoy. Uh, I when I think of supergroups, the first band that comes to mind is Velvet Revolver, which is like probably one of the more forgettable ones. Mike from Skinny Kimos really likes one of their riffs. <laughs> <laughs> so I just Velvet Revolver. I remember when that record came out. I think I was in like probably seventh or eighth grade. And it was Oh, you're a little baby. It was I'm not much younger than you. I was born in ninety. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I guess in well in super group years you're a little baby. <laughs> yeah, true. But uh yeah, and I remember hearing it and being like, Oh, this is supposed to be good. I don't I don't get it, but <laughs> Yeah, that's how I felt when I first started becoming interested in rock and roll i would just listen to like anything that was guitar based or even like vaguely related to guitar based music and i remember hearing lincoln park for the first time and thinking that i ought to like it because there's guitar and then i kept trying really hard to like it and i decided that it just wasn't for me and that was the first time as an adult i made a conscious decision to Say no, thank you. I don't want a copy of Hybrid Theory. That's quite <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm gonna pop, and that's how I managed to steer clear of new metal. And I didn't even do it on purpose; it just happened naturally. I mean, I think you're probably for the better for that. I don't know. I mean, I know that I definitely listened to some new metal bands. Like I really like the Deftones, um, and now that I have am an older lady, um, I can. I would never listen to Corn on purpose, but when I hear them, I think, wow, there's no other band that sounds like this. What a weird band. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And I also read Monkey and Fieldy's autobiographies. Um, they were, you know, like the kind of books you keep in the bathroom? Mm-hmm. They were those books. <laughs> I think yeah, they're in the bathroom. anything biographical makes me appreciate bands more. And I'll, I will watch a documentary about bands that I absolutely don't like, and I always end up enjoying the documentary. Usually, I don't know. Maybe do you it, like? Do you like the band Aerosmith? I do not. Perfect. Okay, 
go on YouTube and you need to look up um, Aerosmith, and I think I believe it's a colon the the making of Pump, and it is an amazing documentary about Aerosmith, the band making their um, Watershed record Pump, which has hits on it like Love in an Elevator, Jamie's Got a Gun, uh, What It Takes. It is one of the weirdest, saddest documentaries. <laughs> about a band making a record. The cast of characters is amazing. There's a lot of scatting, obviously, because of Steven Tyler and <laughs> scarves. And Steven Tyler is always wearing basically, like, elaborate pajamas. Um, and the cinematography is, like, some of the most insane, like, camera work that I've ever seen. And so just watch it and then email me. Um, I've watched it at least... 15 times it's one of my favorite music documentaries ever that sounds awesome i will definitely definitely check that out please please and then uh this is also a a decree i I must make that the band against me has my copy of pump on dvd and i would like it back someday (laughs) i gave it to 2008 and i need it still nice well if i ever get uh (laughs) laura jane grace on the show I'll, i'll ask her for you He's not gonna. I bet you lost it. So, a little funny. <laughs> I, I was gonna ask you about. Um, I was looking at y'all's uh, like kind of history of tours, and y'all played a house show in Columbia, South Carolina, where I'm at now, uh, nine years ago in 2011, and I lived a block down the street from where y'all played, and nobody told me about the show. And I've been to house shows in the house beside the one that y'all played at, but not the one that y'all played at. And I just thought that was the weirdest thing that I was just so close to this uh, Screaming Female show nine years ago. And I just, you know. We haven't played that much. So I think it was with Big Eyes. I think that's what it was. That might be. or It was either that. Because the other time we played South Carolina was election night when Obama won. Um, and then way, way before that, we played in a town that was just called 96. Oh yeah. I don't, if you know about 96, yeah, we played in a town called 96 in an, in an abandoned house. Um, and I just remember it was really cold and two of the rooms in the house didn't have floors. So you could open the door and then there were just like the beams for the, for the fl- that would hold the floorboards, but uh, a, a bunch of the boys at the show were like just opening the doors and like pissing oh, into gross. the. Well, I mean, it just went to the ground. Like it was just <laughs> funny, I guess. Uh, yeah, that was, I think those are the three times we played South Carolina. There might be more, but well, that's pretty work. on brand for '96. '96, yeah, and then we wound up staying. At a gentleman's house who had a uh, pet prairie dog. That's and crazy. I that was very delightful to me. No, no, he it was very cute. <laughs> um, the dog probably shouldn't have been a pet, but the prairie dog seemed pretty happy. So, I, but also I was a child at the time, so who who knows? Yeah, I guess if somebody can can provide a prairie dog with a good existence, I have no problem with that. <laughs> yeah, anyone who's kind of very dogs is, um, gets a pass in, in my book. Yeah, that's awesome. 
the reason I, the reason I brought that up and I, I was going to ask you about, you know, playing in Columbia too, is that, uh, very famously against me's one of their last shows before like a big breakup and some big issues with the band, uh, happened in Columbia. And so anytime they've mentioned Columbia and like, interviews and in documentaries and stuff like that it's just always about this terrible show that i went to when i was in high school oh really where they were just like it was just you know the last straw for you know whatever issues were going on in the band at the time so i just uh, right you know i got i got to see them at a bad point which kind of sucks I fell down yeah, yeah they, those they used happen. to play Columbia all the time. I've I've seen them probably a dozen times, which is kind of crazy because a lot of bands don't really come here. But well, they tour like fucking crazy. They tour more than probably if if you ask me like what band tours the the hardest, they would definitely be one that came to mind for sure. Yeah, that's true, and that's coming from somebody yeah. who has toured a lot for the last decade. Yeah, I mean. Probably, I, I, I'm a, I, I would say that we've probably, they probably, well, I guess we can't play double as many shows, but they definitely play way more than we do per year, like shows per year, I think. That's my guess. Mm-hmm. I would have to get out of, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have to be a competition. Yeah. So, uh, I, I know that y'all are a New Jersey band. Um, do y'all have some connection to like the Gainesville punk scene or is that more of a, you know, meeting each other on the road kind of thing? Oh, I mean, no idea. I used to do our distribution um, back in the day. Uh, we played, you know, a bunch of our early shows were like fest or fest related. Mm-hmm. Um, we were playing like, barbecues and house shows and stuff in Gainesville before we were invited to fest. And then like a lot of the bands that kind of like helped us figure out how to like do band stuff, like go on tour are kind of like fest favorites, like, um, thirds, for example, you know, like uh, Mm -hmm. quintessential kind of pop punk band. They're from New Brunswick, New Jersey. If it wasn't for the ergs, then like we wouldn't really know we probably wouldn't even know that like Gainesville existed or like that that scene existed. And uh, the Ergs were nice enough to like sit us down and like show us all of these places and explain where these, where these like rich punk communities were. So, um, and then I'm trying to think of other like Gainesville stuff. I mean, throughout the years we've been there so much, we've definitely like forged a bunch of kind of like relationships with the, the town with the people in the town definitely like the culture surrounding fest um and uh i have a lot i actually have like more friends than i thought that are from florida and have since left but um i i've grown to like gainesville i've grown to like a lot of northern florida i think florida gets a bad reputation obviously (laughs) um and I, we've seen some really, really gorgeous things in Florida, especially like some of those, um, those beautiful, like fresh springs that they have in, in Northern Florida are just like absolutely breathtaking. And so, um, we've definitely had some great shows in Gainesville, um, some great friends in Gainesville and seen a lot of really nice nature. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Love it. 
So I, I take it from that that when you y'all are on tour, you do tend to do stuff other than sleep and play shows. Do y'all do a lot of sightseeing and stuff while you're touring the country? I mean, it all depends on what the day is like. If like there's a long drive day, we'll just dedicate the day to driving and getting to the show on time. Um, you know, our our number one priority is always going to be to like get to the show on time and give everybody adequate time and space to rest and eat and have a sound check and and be prepared to like play the best show that we can play. Um, if we do have time to kill, then yeah, for sure. Of course, we'd love to like go to, you know, at this point we've been touring for, you know, 14 years or whatever. There are places that we want to go eat and friends that we want to go see and maybe like museums that we want to hit up or whatever. So, um, and then there's some days where like, you know, touring can be really taxing. It's like some days there you, you might have a lot of free time, but all you want to do is sit in a coffee shop and read a book or like, I just want to sit in a coffee shop and like doodle on my sketch pad or something. And that's fine too. You just have to afford yourself time to like be kind to your mind and your body so that you don't burn out. So, um, but yeah, I think that, going and seeing things and learning about the town that you're in and what's important to the people who live in that town is, is really crucial, um, to like experiencing what it's like to being a, be a touring musician who truly cares. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. I've, I've, I've heard, you know, both kind of sides of that where I, I've talked to people that were basically like, every town is basically the same, you know, it's just a venue and a hotel room or whatever. Um, and then, but it's always, that's not true. (laughs) Yeah. But it's cool to hear that, uh, you know, at least some people are enjoying themselves while they're doing it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we, and we also don't really get hotel rooms. We usually just stay with friends or strangers (laughs) who become (laughs) friends. I mean, I, I, I don't I don't stick my nose up at like bands who get hotel rooms. I totally understand, but um, there there you know there have been a couple of trips where like if we get a couple of hotel rooms in, in succession, and I'm like, man, this is like depressing. I wanna I wanna like see the inside of people's homes and like talk about their record collection or like look at look at the cool art they have hanging on the walls or like encourage them to get the cool like tushy bidet that I just bought like dumb dumb <laughs> stuff like that you know just a, a little bit of human connection that's just beyond like checking in at the front desk is uh is is worth is worth a lot yeah definitely I, and I think that goes back to kind of you know the the punk rock ethos and the the kind of family aspect to it um you know, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. I, I used to live in a house where we would have a lot of, when bands would come through town, we'd have a lot of bands stay with us. And I, as a fan, you know, as a, as a music enthusiast, uh, always loved, you know, those nights of just, you know, a band would come back and we didn't be expecting them to want to go to sleep because they've been, you know, doing this exhausting job all day. And, uh, you know, them just sitting around and drinking some beers and, you know, shooting some shooting the shit was always like I have great memories of uh some of those nights. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, and there have definitely been instances where like you do get to a house and you do just want to go to sleep. Um, and then like, maybe like the, the, the kids at the house, like want to party and you're not feeling it. And then like, it gets weird. <laughs> and there's like, but even, even if that is like, you know, even in a worst case scenario, I guess not worst case, but even in a scenario like that, sometimes it's just even worse the stories that you have. Like, that's what life is all about. Like a life of just like, of kind of like convenience and comfort, I don't think is like the kind of life that I have ever wanted to live. Um, I'd much prefer to like talk to people, have fun, have like really bizarre experiences and good stories to share and stuff like that. Um, and so I think that like kind of giving yourself over to uncertainty and maybe like a, a little bit of chaos, uh, within, you know, safe parameters can, can really result in some like good time. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there, there's something about, uh, just like not, you know, not hanging out with friends is not what I mean, but like just like interacting with other human beings in a non-transactional way, you know, like when you're not like in line at the gas station or something. Uh, it's yeah, just, yeah. It's just like mind expanding, um, you know, just kind of like there's I, I always come away, you know, and I've, I feel like, you know, I've, there are a lot of people better at describing this than I am. But, like, you know, modern society is very alienating and everything's very, like, compartmentalized and everything is money-based and stuff like that. So, like, coming away from interacting with some strangers in, like, a real meaningful way where you look somebody in the eyes uh, is always just kind of, like, this great gift. Uh, yeah, and about, like, a lot of these experiences where we do just kind of, like, yo, we need somewhere to stay. Can we stay somewhere? We'll wind up staying with people who will become our friends for, like, the next 10 years. So, and, like, you know, it, like, friendship is one of the most amazing, precious things that <laughs> you can experience in life. And I'm, like, so grateful to have met so many of, like, the wonderful people that we've met over the years who have been kind enough to, like, open their homes to us and play with us and make us food and tell us about their lives and where they live and it's just it's we've been really lucky and so yeah I'd, I'd much rather crash at a stranger's house than uh sleep at, at a motel six yeah although yeah. we've had some fucked up experiences at motel six too. <laughs> <laughs> anything in particular pop out uh yeah <laughs> on our on our last tour which hopefully won't be the last. Um, we stayed at a red, or maybe it was a, no, it was a travel lodge in Laramie, Wyoming, because we had to drive overnight from Denver to get to Salt Lake City. And so I'm going to keep this story kind of short because it's long and like, and like most of it's probably not that interesting. But um, so we drove for about two hours. And while we were on the drive, the woman who was working the front desk called in uh, called uh, Mike who had booked the room online and asked what time we would get there. So Mike said that we would get there around 2 a.m. and that he was very sorry we were getting there late. 
uh, if that's okay. And she replied, um, it's a, she said something along the lines of it's a, it's a really bad time to come to Laramie right now in kind of like a threatening way, suggesting that like we weren't going to make it out of Laramie alive, <laughs> you know, like Whoa. it was very foreboding. And so he, he, I, Mike said something to the, something like, it sounds like you don't want us to come to your, to your motel. And he was like, that's fine. Should I look up another place? And she was like, no, I'll be here till 7 a.m. And he was like, okay. So he hung up and he was just like, that lady was very strange. Um, uh, jumped out of the car because I was like, I am so excited to meet this person. <laughs> like, <laughs> what's going on? And so we got in there and she was mopping one of the carpeted hallways with like one of those industrial like um like yellow bucket type mops. Um she was she was mopping the carpeted hallway. She was mopping it with a wet mop. So that was strange, so that was weird and then she wheeled the mop bucket over to the desk and she had like a you know a 500 yard stare like she was looking into a dimension that, like, we didn't have access to. <laughs> I don't know what her deal was. Um, uh, so she, so while she checked us in, there were, like, a series of really weird statements that she made. She referred to Mike as Mr. New Jersey Man, which is also which is true. He is Mr. New Jersey Man, and that's because she took his, um, his, his ID and found out he was from New Jersey. Then she also referred to him as Mr. Lego Man, which I don't, really know what that was a reference to maybe because there were some squares on his jacket that looked like Legos. Um, she also continued to tell us that it was a very bad time to be in Laramie because there was a hundred car pileup that had happened recently. Um, and then kind of like started going in a different direction, telling us how lucky we were to actually be in Laramie. And we agreed that we were very lucky to be in Laramie and so lucky to do what we do. Thank you so much. It's 3 a.m. We'd really like to go in our room now, you know, kind of just trying to make her stop. Um, and so there were some other lines, choice lines that she said that were strange and didn't make sense. But anyway, we got to our room. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning. We have to get up at 7 a.m. So we're like, okay, well, that lady, that was weird, but I don't think anyone has anything to be, like, worried about. Um, let's just get some sleep because we are going to have a very long day. And so everybody puts on their PJs and like 15 minutes later, we hear a tapping at the window and I'm just like, Oh, for the love of God, like, I, you know, we knew it was her. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, everyone's like already laying down. It's so late. We have about four hours of sleep and I'm, and I think even with the tapping, we were like, we're just going to stay here. Just fuck it. Like, you know, this lady's trying to party and we're not. And hopefully she'll just stop. So maybe like another 10 minutes passed. And then the landline rang. And it was like one of those old beige, like, you know, it's landline phone that has like the little red siren on it. And the light starts going off. And Jarrett kind of froze. And he was like, somebody has to pick up the phone so I kind of just like reached across the bed I picked up the phone I said hello he said is Miss Abate there which is referring to Abate which is Mike's last name I'm assuming that she thought I was Mike's wife um which is fine and I said I just said yes because I didn't feel like clarifying that I am not Mike's wife 
Um, and uh, she said, what's up? <laughs> and I said, we're going to sleep. And then I shit you not, she said, <laughs> like from the Budweiser. <laughs> like she said, and I, and then I said again, oh, well, we're just going to sleep. And then she just said, dang, and hung up. And at that point, we were like, we need to here. Because, <laughs> hold on, there's an ice cream truck. Okay. Um, at that point, we like, Jared was, Jared was definitely really freaked out. Our roadie, Dawn, who is truly an exceptional and uh, exceptional freak, said, let's just stay. She's just funny. <laughs> Which, and then uh, my reasoning was, I don't think she's dangerous at all, but I do think she's going to keep bothering us all night and we need to sleep. So we should leave. So um, we all lined up in front of the door with our stuff packed because I was, I was like almost 110% certain that she would just be like waiting outside of the door with like a machete or some kind of other like shining type style, like murder device. Um, on the count of three, they opened and opened the door and she was not there. Um, and we made a very graceful exit and then wound up spending like a shit ton of money at the last minute to get a room so we could sleep for like a couple hours. And so that was our creepy weird experience at our travel watch (laughs) yeah and there's been other ones but that was probably one of the weirder ones yeah that's crazy she was probably just trying to share whatever whatever she had ingested i i don't know what was going on with her i mean i feel like a lot of it could have just been born of loneliness you know she's working the night shift at a travel lodge in Laramie, Wyoming. Like maybe she just wanted, she like saw some, some freaks come in, like some rockers and some freaks. And she was just like, Oh man, like, my people, like I want to kick it with them. But we were like, man, girl, we got to go to bed. You don't understand. Um, so I hope she's okay. I do mm-hmm. wish her all the best. Yeah. I was angry wild. at her for a day after I was a little angry at her cause I was sleepy. Um, <laughs> And that was her fault a little bit, but, uh, I'm not angry. Yeah. It's, it's not easy to be graceful when somebody is interrupting your well needed sleep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so if anything, it sounds like y'all were extremely grateful in that frustrating situation <laughs> or graceful. Right. Sorry. Yeah. yeah that's why um, I, anyway. I think the only thing that would have really creeped me out was the tapping on the window. <laughs> like why not come to the yeah, door? The entire thing was like probably scarier than like what I like. I I don't think I reacted to it in the way that I should have because I was tired, but also had experienced things that were like kind of similar in the past, you know. So I'm just like, he's not gonna hurt us. The doors are locked. We're fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As long as you have the little chain lock, you're probably good. Yeah. Once that chain's up, you're you're good to go. I don't care you. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's the story. That's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, I guess that's just like kind of the, you know, the perils of living in a flyover state is, you know, you might, you might have to to bug some rock stars to hang out with you once in a while to make things less boring. Yeah. 
yeah. I mean, I don't. I have no idea what her deal was, but think think about her often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, even, even more reason to uh, to stay with uh, people you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, I, mean, I I think you know when when touring becomes like a safe proposition again. Uh, I think people are going to be so excited to hear live music. Uh, you know, I, I told my spouse, I was like, any show that comes to town, I'm just going to go see, you know, like when it's safe to, I'm just like, yeah. So I, I bet it's going to be a, a, you know, a renaissance of touring, you know, in the next couple of years. Uh, when you can, so bad. if everything goes well. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. We'll see. Yeah. But. Well, have y'all, you know, with kind of all this free time, um, have y'all been working on any music? Is that something you're, you're doing right now or? I mean, we just, yeah, we, we, um, I live in a really, uh, I live in a, an old church, but it's my two roommates. And so we have a lot of space and I moved our practice space here so that we could practice safely um, so we've been kind of like working on new material every week. Um, we're going to start like doing a little bit of pre-production by ourselves. We don't have any plans for like recording or release or anything, but just trying to like see each other every week and, and write together and continue like, you know, this relationship that we've worked so hard to maintain for the past 15 years and, um, mm-hmm. hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully if, if there, this kind of like, if this ever ends, we can get back to doing what we love to do. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad that y'all have a place that you can, you can safely get together. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I know seeing people face to face is, uh, you know, so important for you very, know, maintaining relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with the, the, the pre-production thing, uh, it started making me think about, you know, recording and stuff like that. And, um, I, I think the first record chronologically that I heard of y'all's was, um, the one that you did with, uh, Steve Albini. Um, and I'm just, you know, a big Albini fan as I think a lot of people are. Um, but, my question for you, and this is weird, and let me know if somebody's asked you this before. If I don't want you to have to repeat yourself, but I know Steve wears his guitar around his waist instead of over his shoulder, and I've noticed you do the same mm-hmm. thing. And I was wondering if uh, that was something that you you got from from Steve. He is the one who helped me find the guy who makes um, my waist strap. It's a company called Slinger Straps out of California. And uh, Steve, I, uh, Steve wears his around his waist because it looks cool. Um, I wear mine around my waist uh, because I have uh, like crappy shoulders, basically. So um, on my shoulder every night, usually I'll wind up kind of experiencing just some chronic pain, upper upper back pain, and the waist strap has really helped like mitigate that, make it. Um, pretty much disappear um and so yeah i noticed that steve did that and i thought hey maybe you know a lot of people were suggesting to me at the time when i was 
experiencing this pain. They were like, it's probably your guitar. And I was like, that's really silly because I don't really wear my guitar that much. Like, I only wear it for like an hour a day. Um, but that's kind of what it did wind up being. Was It was my guitar. And so um, I definitely experienced a lot less upper upper body pain now that I wear it around my waist. That's awesome. And it does look cooler, uh, like in Steve's case, too. So <laughs> it doesn't yeah, hurt, I definitely. Like you can't really tell that I'm even wearing it. Um, but Steve definitely looks cool for sure. <laughs> yeah. I remember he said something weird about why he started doing that. And he said something like somebody told him, you never want your guitar to be over your groin or something. So he was like, you have to wear it yeah. below or above, or I don't know, <laughs> something weird. I, I, I forget what he actually said. I'm probably misquoting him right now, but I think it was just some like probably. weird old superstitious thing. Gross. <laughs> Um, no, I never asked him either. I just always figured it was because it looked cool, which is like important when you're in a rock band. <laughs> <laughs> was he, uh, did y'all enjoy working with him? Oh yeah, no, I love Steve. Um, we, we managed to become like pretty good friends. I talked to, I talked to Albini and, um, the, his, uh, former, um, studio manager, Soli, who wound up becoming one of our like, like hardest working roadies. Um, I talk to them like almost every day, pretty much. Um, so yeah, another example of people who kind of like take the punk ethos really seriously. It's kind of like, you know, generated into friendship, which is, is worth more than words can really, uh, say. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. It, it, uh, it makes me feel so good to hear you say that. That's so cool. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm grateful for their friendship and their and their skills, and I look to them for guidance and advice and and uh, you know moments of levity. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I think uh, if if anything, all of this shows us how dependent we are on one another. Um, and how much of the good in life is is brought in by relationships with other people? Um, it's really cool to hear you, you know, say, you know, who who all and what all has kind of, you know, brought some some good into your life. So I yeah. really appreciate that, and uh, I really appreciate you talking to me today. Um, I don't want to keep you too long, but uh, yeah, it's been awesome talking. Thank you so much. Thanks for calling. And uh, I guess email us a link and whatever other information we need on our end, and we'll post it on our all our social media crap. Sounds good. Oh yeah, and right, uh, people should definitely check out uh, your your physical reissue of the the chalk tape. Um, something that I only ever knew from. Sorry, what was that? I was going to say that is unfortunately delayed until 2021, but mm-hmm. uh, we will keep it updated as much as we can on when it will be available. Well, it's just something to get even more excited. You have more time to get excited about it then. <laughs> I guess so. Because <laughs> yeah. I think, bad. you know, obviously I didn't realize that there was only a hundred of them 
So even more so, even less than I would have thought. But uh, so I think for pretty much everybody that's existed pretty much only on like YouTube and stuff up to this point. So that's pretty exciting. It's on Spotify. Oh, it FYI. is on Spotify. Word. I don't, I don't use Spotify uh, for cool. personal reasons. I get you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. I appreciate that, but uh, but yeah, it's on Spotify. Um, but yeah, well, I will, we'll, we'll hopefully have it available, and uh, you know, it was mostly just pre-orders only. But there will be a few sent out to like uh, record stores to try and help out some record stores um, in the tiny, tiny way that we can by the new year. So everyone, hang in there. Hopefully, we'll see each other again soon. That's awesome. Well, I'll definitely. Uh check y'all next time you come through town looking forward to it all right sweetie all right take care see you marissa bye bye all right you want to throw some tags on there this has been a comfort monk production